This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Well, today we mark the 48th anniversary of the devastating Roe v. Wade decision, and things look a little different this year. The March for Life has gone virtual due to the pandemic. We've just seen radical Democrat Joe Biden sworn in as president this week after four years of nonstop pro-life victories, courtesy of the Trump administration. And already Biden has informed the pro-abortion World Health Organization that the U.S. will be renewing its funding, and he has vowed to bring back many more pro-abortion policies in the coming days. And yet we have a new Supreme Court with more pro-lifers sitting on the bench than has been the case in years. And today the court will actually decide whether or not to hear a major case out of Mississippi that actually could end up overturning Roe v. Wade if the court goes the right way. And yet even if that happens, there's a hitch because President Biden has already addressed this question of the Supreme Court potentially overruling Roe when asked what he would do about abortion in light of a more pro life Supreme Court, Biden said the only responsible response to that would be to pass legislation making Roe the law of the land. That's what I would do. Well, there's a lot to talk about today. We're going to do it with Mark Crutcher, who is president over at Life Dynamics. And Mark, so good to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Well, it's my pleasure, Janet. Nice talking to you. Nice to talk to you on what may be one of the worst days in American history. How do you reflect on Roe v. Wade when it's been almost 50 years now and so many millions of little babies have died unnecessarily? I think the main thing that we need to concentrate on right now, at least in the environment that we're in right now, this is obviously a tragedy for our country, not just on abortion, but on on many different fronts. Um. I'm of the belief that Biden and Harris are communists. And I know people find that kind of alarming, maybe, or ridiculous that I would say such a thing. But they are communists, if you look at what their their beliefs are. And one of the big beliefs of the Communist Party always was the promotion of abortion. And they made no bones about it. And it had devastating effects on the Soviet Union. Um, when when it finally collapsed and they started doing research on what abortion had done to that country, it was it was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the environment that we are in right now, I think that we need to remember that this is not like this is uncharted territory. Yeah. We've been down this trail before yeah. with with both Clinton, Bill Clinton, and with uh, Barack Obama, and I can tell you as as someone who's lived through all those environments, um, during the Clinton administration, they went after the pro-life movement with a vengeance that was never seen before in American history. <laughs> and we were the victims of that. As, and I can tell you, I've talked to other national pro-life leaders who said their organizations were victims of it as well. Um, we were having our phones tapped and our mail open just big, illegally oh, with wow. no warrant. Oh, man. And we caught them at it. We, it's not like I thought that was going on. We physically caught them doing it. Huh. Um, 
<clears throat> so we've been down this trail before. The difference is, or one of the big differences is, that actually the pro-life movement is in much better shape right now than it was at either one of those other times. True. If you go back to 1992, for example, or 1993 when Clinton was inaugurated, there were over 2,100 freestanding abortion clinics in America. Today, there are about 500. Mm, that's great. The abortion rate at that time was about 5,000 a day. Today, it's less than 2,000 a day. Yeah. Um, the polls at that time were showing overwhelmingly pro-choice sentiment among the American people. Today, some polls show more Americans claim to be pro-life than pro-choice. And even in the other polls, it's, it's basically a dead heat. So the pro-life movement is in actually much better shape today than it was then. Um, and the, the abortion lobby itself is in much weaker shape. True. And so what, what we need to do is not focus on the tragedy that just befell us uh, in this election. And uh, I don't call it an election. I call it a selection because um, I, I firmly believe that um, the election was stolen from Donald Trump. I'll mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. not believe that he didn't win this election. Yep, me too. And um, th- that's, that may be the bigger tragedy of the election itself. It's, not, it's one thing if Biden had won. It's another thing if they stole the election, and they did. What we need to remember is that it's not what happens to you in life that matters. It's what you do about what happens to you. And we need to get up off the mat. We've, we've taken a blow. We've, we've been knocked to our knees. We need to get up, roll up our sleeves, and fight back. And if we'll do that, uh, I want to I point something out about the Obama administration and the Clinton administration. We made more progress, just using the Clinton administration for an example. We made more progress during the eight years that Clinton was president, by far, than we made during the eight years that George Bush, 43, was president. Yes. And that's because our movement has a, has a tendency to, if we elect somebody who claims they're pro-life, whether they are or not, but if we elect somebody that, that claims to be pro-life, we kind of take a deep breath and settle back and think they're going to do our work for us. Yeah, we do. And that's never been the case. That wasn't the case with Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And until Trump came along, I think Reagan was probably the most pro-life president. I think Trump is by far the most pro-life. But um, up until Trump came along, Reagan was. But he really didn't do anything if you look back on it. Right, that's true. We didn't do anything either because we were counting on him. Hmm. And we made more progress under Clinton because once we got over the initial trauma of having lost that election, um, like I said, we, we got up off the mat and we fought back and we made legitimate progress. Yeah. And we can do that again right now. We're in a better position to do that now than we were in 93 or in, when Obama took over. Oh, I agree. And, and, you know, now we have the power of social media. And I think the pro-life movement has just exploded because of the ability that Americans who are pro-life have to interact with each other, to retweet, to put out stories, you know, and, and that I think just gets the message out even more. And it, the other thing is that 
it seems that Biden is just kind of carried along with this very, very diabolical scheme that now, now given the fact that we have a Supreme Court with Amy Coney Barrett on it and Brett Kavanaugh, and we have a more pro-life Supreme Court, and they're terrified of overturning Roe v. Wade. You and I have talked about this before. You've always said that you feared under a progressive administration like the Biden administration, what they would end up doing is putting the abortion industry into the federal government and having the cover of the federal government. Now, what of this line from Joe Biden that he would make Roe the law of the land? Uh, You know, how would these things go together? Well, first off, a moment ago, I said that our flaw is that when we have a pro-life president, we sit back and don't do anything and we let them do the workforce. The abortion industry's flaw is a little different. When they get their guy in they overplay their hand. Yes, they do. And they've done this time and time again. And oh, Biden's coming out here saying, well, if, if Roe is overturned by the Supreme Court, um, then we'll just pass laws to make uh, Roe the law of the land. He acts like that's a fait accompli. Yeah, he does. But you might go through Congress and find a lot of guys, a lot of uh, mem- members of Congress, men and women who are there who say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pro-choice. I support a woman's right to choose. But if it came to a vote and they looked at their constituency back home and their constituency was majority pro-life, you might find that a lot of those people weren't quite as pro-abortion as they thought. That's true. And so my, my take is that um, we've got a nut... A couple of things. We've got to not drink the unity Kool-Aid. <laughs> um, Biden is out there pushing this, and all the Democrats are saying, oh, we've now got to come together. They weren't saying that six months ago. No, you're right. Mark, hang on. We're going to pause for a short break. We'll come back with Mark Crutcher, president of Life Dynamics, on this Roe v. Wade anniversary. Stay with us. We'll be back. Healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. 
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal? Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Thank you for being with us. 48 years ago today, Roe v. Wade became the law of the land. Well, it was a decision from the Supreme Court, terrible decision, and millions of lives have been lost because of that decision. And now we have a pro-abortion president as of this week who is going to do everything he possibly can to undo the pro-life policies of the Trump administration. Mark Crutcher is with us, president of Life Dynamics. And I was talking with you a little bit before the break there, Mark, about the fact that Joe Biden has said, given the makeup of the Supreme Court, that it's more pro-life than it has been in years. He wants to look at making Roe the law of the land. And this also goes alongside what you and I have talked about before, your sense that what the progressives will do if they were able to capture the federal government, the White House again, is they would protect the abortion industry by moving it in as an arm of the federal government. I liked what you said before we went to break, which is you just can't drink that unity Kool-Aid. Amen to that. But wanted to let you pick up where you left off on that and that particular question. Well, yeah, you know, six months ago, they weren't saying that. No way. They, and as, as late as just a, a couple of days ago, they were calling anybody that supported uh, President Trump a traitor and all kinds of horrible names and suggesting there are members of Congress suggesting that there needs to be re-education of all the people who voted for Trump. It's nuts. This is right out of the communist Manifesto. Yep. This is what they do when they go into a country. They do re-education camps. Yep. And so I don't want to hear these people coming along on one hand, calling me all kinds of names and, and talking about how, what a horrid individual I am. And, oh, by the way, we want to be unified. This unity talk is not designed to unify the country. It's designed to neutralize his opposition. Sure. And I, I'm just telling people, don't buy this Kool-Aid. Don't drink this Kool-Aid. Our response has to be, like I said, to get up off the mat and fight back, and to fight back aggressively, as, as aggressive as we have to be to win. And our goal here is not to join hands with these people and think that we're going to all walk off into the sunset together singing Kumbaya. That's never going to happen, nor should it happen. No. Our position now should be to resist everything these people do because their mission is to destroy this country and rebuild it in their own image. That's what they're wanting to do. Right. And 
they don't hardly even make any bones about that anymore. No, they're getting more and more brazen about what they're saying. You're right. You hear discussions of re-education and deprogramming and hunting down your political enemies and getting rid of the of Republican Party that's now being floated by certain academics. It's very scary. And, and yet this is interesting because you have this Mississippi 15-week abortion ban issue. And today, sometime, the Supreme Court will be deciding whether or not to take up this case. And according to reports, this actually could overturn Roe v. Wade if it goes the right way. Now, what happens if the Supreme Court takes the case, rules the right way, and yet Biden and his gang of pro-aborts in Congress manage to get through some kind of legislation that makes Roe the law of the land? Uh, what do you do then? Because really, they would be undermining the Supreme Court, but yet the Supreme Court interprets whether or not the laws are constitutional. How would that even play out? Well, first off, we need to, and I've talked on your show about this before, we need to be aware that simply overturning road does not accomplish our, our goal. Yes. Um, it depends on how the, how the court, what the rationale is behind overturning it. If the court comes out here and says that Roe was poorly decided because the um, Constitution is silent on abortion and doesn't speak to abortion, then it goes back to each individual state to make up their own rules, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's a nightmare. That's an absolute nightmare for the pro-life movement, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But if the court were to rule that the unborn child is a, is a person for the purposes of the Constitution, then there would not be a possibility of passing laws that make Roe the law of the land, because that law, by definition, would be in conflict with the personhood, which even Blackman, who wrote Roe versus Wade, said if there's ever a personhood ruling on the uh, of the unborn child, then these these laws that that allow abortion become moot. Right. So it depends on how they overturn it, and that's still the case today. And the reason I say is that if they were to overturn it on a state's rights issue, first off, it's constitutionally un, unjustified to do that. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Constitution says that all persons. Uh, have a right to life. That's in the, both the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment, and the right to life of persons is established there. The pro-life position is that the unborn are persons. So if they're persons, you can't argue that it's a state's rights matter. The That's Constitution right. clearly makes it, makes it clear that the persons have a federal right to life. But if they send it back to the states without ruling on the personhood of the unborn, just saying that it's the, the, uh, the uh, Constitution is silent on abortion and it goes back to all the states, um, that's, again, like I said a moment ago, a nightmare. Hmm. Because that means that, because the problem is, uh, Janet, that if we don't protect every baby in every state, we don't protect any baby in any state. Yeah. Because state lines are freely crossed. Sure. So if you have a baby, let's say, in Texas, Texas, let's say, banned all abortions, but Colorado didn't. Colorado allows abortion right up to the moment of birth. Then a woman in Texas that's pregnant and, and wants to have an abortion just go to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, be that baby's life is not protected by the Texas state law as long as state lines are freely crossed. And I guarantee you what you would see is in some of these more liberal states, uh, California, and some of them have even already talked about this. Some of the pro aborts in these states have already said this. They'll basically set up a cottage industry in abortion. And 
you'll have uh, you'll have just as many abortions but done in fewer states. That makes that, sense. That'll be the difference. That would be the difference. Well, it was interesting because we had that other case, June Medical Services v. Russo, and Chief Justice Roberts had a concurring opinion in the case, siding with the liberals and striking down that law out of Louisiana, which it was about right. restrictions on abortion um, clinics and doctors who provide abortions. But he did say he could support other restrictions in future cases. But ultimately, I look at that report and I think to myself, that's not what we need. We we need no. to get rid of abortion. We need to end the scourge of abortion. We need to rule. And I think you're right about this, Mark. I think ultimately the best case to have in front of the Supreme Court is one that has the central question of, is the unborn child a person? Now, I don't know of a case that is particularly going to address that. I know there's another case out of Arkansas. Arkansas, I guess, is getting ready to pass a law directly challenging Roe v. Wade, which could maybe end up at the Supreme Court at some point. But again, it, do you know of any cases in which the main question is, whether or not that fetus, that baby in the womb, is a person? Well, uh, not, not that's winding its way to the court right now. Yeah. But there have been cases in the past. And what the Supreme Court does, has done in all those cases previously, is they've refused to hear any case in which the ruling might grant personhood to the unborn child and um, take this thing out of, the, out of the states. I think that that... That may be changing. It may be that they would they would grant cert to it and, and listen to such a case. But I think what we have to do, and I know we don't have the time to, to go into it today, but I have a plan I've written up. Um, I think we have to create a constitutional showdown. Great. And I think it's, you know, and people say, well, wow, that's a pretty radical step. Well, what are you willing to do to protect millions of unborn babies? Either you're pro-life or you're not. Yes. And... If you are pro-life, creating a constitutional showdown to, to, um, to defend their lives is not radical. We should have done this years ago. And I have an um, article that I wrote about creating this constitutional showdown, and I would love to come on your show sometime and just talk about the ramifications of that and yeah. how we go about doing that. Absolutely. That'd and, be great. In a, in a, in a sentence or two, to basically, what are you talking about? Are you talking about forging some kind of effort to get an amendment to the Constitution, or what do you have in mind? We've got to force a case to the, Consti- to the Supreme Court that basically forces them to rule on the personhood of the unborn. And that case has to also be one that we win no matter how they rule on it. Mm. And what I'm suggesting is that, and I'll just give you a nutshell here, what I'm suggesting is that we find the right governor or the right attorney general of a state to come out and say, and call a press conference and say, look, um, homicide, state homicide, homicide statutes are a state matter. They're not a federal matter. And that's proven by the fact if, if you thought your next-door neighbor murdered his wife, you wouldn't call the FBI. You'd call the local police department. Yes. And if you did call the FBI, they'd say, well, that's a state matter. You, you need to call your local police. Homicide statutes are a state matter. This attorney general or, or, or governor should say, uh, our, I, the, the evidence is overwhelming now. The scientific evidence is overwhelming that the unborn child is a person. Therefore, our state's homicide statutes apply to the unborn child, and I'm issuing a directive to every attorney general, I mean district attorney in this state now, to file homicide charges against anyone who's accused 
of committing an abortion. Wow. So the doctor directly would be the one. And all the people that work there. And all the people the, in the, the nurses, the aides, the people that, that help schedule the abortion. Wow. Ever, anybody who's involved in seeing that take place would be caught up in it. Now, the press, if you call this press conference, somebody's going to say, well, doesn't that fly in the face of Roe versus Wade? This issue, the answer would be, this is a homicide matter. It's a state matter. We don't care about Roe versus Wade. Hmm. And uh, we're going to apply the state's homicide statutes to abortion. This is what we should have been doing all along since day one. The day after Roe versus Wade was handed down, some district attorney, I mean, some attorney general or some governor should come forward that day and said, well, that's fine, but um, our homicide statutes apply to the unborn, and we're not going to recognize this. Well, I'll tell you what, Mark, I will bring you back because I want to talk about some of the ramifications of that great idea. You can visit LifeDynamics.com. Mark Crutcher, so good to talk to you, Mark. Thanks a lot for being with us again. Thank you, Janet. All right. Well, again. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, as we mourn the loss of more than $60 million preborn babies, more than 60 million today on the Roe v. Wade anniversary. This is a perfect time for us, especially when we just had a radical pro-abortion president sworn in this week to stand for life like never before. Now, I've been telling you during the Sanctity of Human Life Month, we here at Janet Mefford today are trying to raise enough money to save 350 babies. And the way that our friends at Preborn do that is by offering free ultrasounds to women who come into these crisis pregnancy centers. And it happens every single day. And it is the case that when these women are offered a free ultrasound, eight out of 10 times, they will choose life. It is the most direct way to save human lives. And all it costs is $28 for one ultrasound session for a woman. $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. Any gift will help. We're about two thirds of the way toward our goal. We really need you to step up because we're getting close to the end of January. We want to help this wonderful ministry of preborn save these babies by the grace of God. So please, if you can help, this is the number to call 855 402 Baby, 855-402-BABY or 855-402-2229. That's 855-402-2229. Or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you so much for your generosity and helping to save the lives of these very helpless, vulnerable children. All right, I want to get to some of what is transpiring, and that is the increased amount of rhetoric Basically, with a bunch of leftists saying, we're going to shut all of you Trump lovers down. We're just going to shut you all down. We're not even trying to be vague about it anymore. Let's go first to former CIA director John Brennan. He was on MSNBC. Now, remember who he is. He voted for the communist Gus Hall, 
who ran for president back in the day. He voted for a communist and he still got to be the head of the CIA. He weaponized the CIA against President Trump based on a lie. This guy is about as low as it gets. And this is what John Brennan had to say about Trump supporters and what should happen now that Biden's in place. Listen to cut one. I was thinking today that uh, this is the most relaxed I've been uh, in the course of many inaugurations I've watched because I'm not responsible for it. But I can tell you that when I was in the government, I was I had white knuckles because of the nature of the threats. But it's so much more difficult today because of what we have seen, not just over the last two weeks, but that certainly has riveted our attention. But because of this growth in polarization in the United States and domestic violence and white supremacist groups. So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, Mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of the country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. And unfortunately, I think there has been this momentum that has been generated as a result of, unfortunately, the demagogic rhetoric of people that's just departed government, but also those who continue in the halls of Congress. And so I really do uh, think that the law enforcement, homeland security, intelligence, and even the defense officials are doing everything possible to root out what seems to be a very, very serious and insidious threat to our democracy and our republic. Oh, yeah, there's so many religious people out there just engaging in domestic terrorism. They're germinating everywhere. Everywhere you turn, you see these domestic terrorists gathering in shadowy houses, you know, the little roofs over their houses, their little shacks out in the country. Give me a break. Yes, there are some bad people out there. Let's talk about your side for a while, John Brennan. Have you noticed what's going on with Antifa in Seattle and Portland, where they are out there smashing property and opposing Biden and saying we are ungovernable? Maybe you want to go after those people because those people, last I checked, were not Trump supporters. They don't want to stop those people. They don't want to stop those people. Why would they stop those people? They had every chance in the world to stop those people when they were doing this for months and months and months and months while you were locked down because of a coronavirus pandemic. These people are as brazen as it gets. And I really hope it awakens the sleeping giant. And I'm of the mind that the sleeping giant, to some extent, has already been awakened because of the number of people who came out for Trump for so many years, actually going to rallies. And the last one obviously ended in a very poor way. But I don't blame the president for inciting the breaching of the Capitol. He told them to be peaceful and patriotic. And, you know, the whole thing went off the rails with a few people out of how many hundreds of thousands. These people are seizing the opportunity to just go completely nuts because they feel emboldened. They have the government now. They have Congress. They have the White House. They just feel emboldened. Let's just go after. Let's go full big brother. Now, that's not the only place that we're seeing this happen. MSNBC, I want to play a little mashup from MSNBC. You're going to hear from people like uh, former Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill, a Democrat, of course, Nicole Wallace, Ben Rhodes. Listen to the rhetoric. It sounds an awful lot like Brennan and what he had to say on the same network. This is cut two. It's going to be a challenge. And I think the major challenge, while I agree with um, Brennan about 
the the news medias that spew lies and the online platforms where you can go for your favorite conspiracy theory. We're ignoring the fact that the majority of Republicans that serve in the building that we watched all day today went along with the lies. There's a broader societal issue that is going to take many years to detox the disinformation, the lies, the hate that has been spread. A whole segment of the American population has been radicalized by what has happened over the last four years. And I think there's a lot of work to be done uh, to, to deal with the broader societal issues that go beyond what even national security, homeland security professionals could do. And the connective tissue between the, the twin crises, the twin challenges, if you will, is disinformation. But rather, can government work with these tech companies to determine how they can at least slow the spread of this poisonous disinformation? And then the last piece, Nicole, is one that you thought a lot about, I know, too, which is can the Republican Party finally stand up and, and tell their people the truth? And this is what Mitt Romney said so powerfully the night of January 6th, which is leadership is telling people the truth. Uh, and if we get enough Republicans who are willing to do that, I think the combination of what Joe Biden can do, what can be done through policy, what can be done with tech companies, uh, and hopefully what at least a somewhat more responsible Republican Party can do, can begin to drain the toxicity out of our democracy. When, when two former uh, West Wing staffers talk, we, we always talk in lists. You gave me three things I want to respond to. Let, let, let me start with, with your last point about Republicans telling the truth. It, it would be my policy that a Republican must assert the truth before they're allowed to share any other views. Hilarious. Coming from MSNBC, isn't it? That was via Newsbusters, that mashup, by the way. Oh, yeah. You can't report the news unless you tell the truth. Well, that'll end TV news, won't it? That'll end all the newspapers. That'll end all of these media sources that claim to be telling the truth and lie through their teeth every single day. You want to talk about detoxing haters and radicals? Why don't you start on the left? Why don't you start in the Democratic Party with these politicians? Did you talk about haters and radicals? We have all kinds of haters and radicals in the Democrat Party. You know, and it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable how brazen these people have become. Max Boot, by the way, Washington Post columnist, this week called for expanding censorship to Fox News. He wrote in the op-ed, just as we do with foreign terrorist groups, so with domestic terrorists, we need to shut down the influencers who radicalize people and set them on the path toward violence and sedition. Okay, Max. He also proposed the means of banning conservative media, as LifeSite News reports, more government regulation. The U.K. doesn't have its own version of Fox News, he opined, because the government intervenes and gives out hefty fines to broadcasters who violate minimum standards of impartiality and accuracy. That's funny. I remember the mainstream media, the fake news media, going absolutely nuts when President Trump was talking about ways to push back against the lies of the media. They went crazy. You remember that? They went crazy. He's a dictator. He wants to clamp down on the freedom of the press. See, when somebody wants to do something to them to get them to stop lying, they go berserk. But they'll turn right around and start proposing that anybody who listens to any other thing than the DNC mouthpiece through these multiple outlets that give it to you like a fire hose every single day, that's fine. That's fine. You know, bring back the fairness doctrine. Right? That's what Max Boot wants. We're going to come back. Stay with us.
Hi, this is Janet Mefford, here to tell you about the ministry of Preborn. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. You just heard a real-life testimony from a woman whose life was changed by the ministry of Preborn. You see, when a young woman considering abortion sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she almost always chooses life for her preborn baby. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life will be without her. Preborn steps into the darkest corners and finds women in need to help them choose life. The mission of Preborn is to glorify Jesus Christ by equipping pregnancy centers nationwide to help save lives and impact moms and babies for the kingdom of God. Preborn leads the country in placing ultrasound machines and counseling women while also helping to lead them to saving faith in Jesus. In 2020 alone, over 31,000 babies were saved and over 7,000 women came to know the Lord. I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. <laughs> I was certain I was going to keep my baby forever. Would you join with us at Janet Mefford today to help preborn help women choose life for 350 babies by the end of January? All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes toward life. One ultrasound session costs $28. A gift of $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. But any gift of any size will help. or maybe you could even help buy an ultrasound machine for $15,000. But whatever you can give will help. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. Again, call toll-free, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, I wonder if Mark Crutcher really has a good point about the fact that when it comes to the abortion issue, the pro-lifers tend to not be strong enough, and then the pro-aborts tend to overplay their hand. I think the left in general does that. They just go for broke, and right now they are on fire trying to really label every Trump supporter as a domestic terrorist and they will use that as justification to kick you off social media and who knows what else is coming after that. They want to marginalize you, dehumanize you, make you nothing so they can rule with an iron fist. This is the time to fight back. Here's another example. Jonathan Turley writes about this. He says, the media has been airing discussion of hosts and leading figures like Katie Couric on deprogramming Trump supporters or treating Trump supporters as a cult, including a CNN interview with an actual cult expert. (laughs) Right, because there was no cult of Obama. Okay. Okay. What about all the God talk? Should we go back and play all those clips? They're starting to do that with Biden, too, which I find utterly hilarious. Since that would include over 70 million Trump voters, the hyperbolic language can be dismissed as just more examples of a rage-filled political environment. But one professor has taken this call even further. In declaring such supporters to be worse than the Nazis and heralding the need for the same type of treatment seen with the Nuremberg trials, including the apparent elimination of the Republican Party. Get rid of it. Smith College professor Loretta Ross, who teaches women's and gender studies, rejected calls for unity and is a Biden's not going to like that and instead called for punitive action against supporters in Congress, universities and regular jobs. Tolerance. In an article in Counterpunch, Ross declares that there can be no unity with Trump supporters. See, isn't that what we've been saying? Unity means submission to these people and that the Republican Party itself cannot continue to exist. I'm going to read what she wrote. It's just a little thing. 
Republicans, she says, are no longer entitled to exist as a legitimate political party because this authoritarian backlash, (laughs) we're the authoritarians, has been building since new civil rights laws were passed in 1964 and 1965 in response to white racist violence captured on TV that required the National Guard to quell... Uh, what party were those people in, largely? You can go look that up. Then President Lyndon Johnson predicted that most white people would flee the Democratic Party. There it is. To join the pro-segregationist, anti-feminist, anti-gay political movement of George Wallace, Richard Nixon, and Ronald Reagan. Anti-gay. Everybody was anti-gay back then. Every undemocratically selected Republican president since the 1960s by an electoral college designed to be disenfranchising has failed to repudiate this neo-fascist wing of their party. What? Some guy in horns and a couple of outliers? Okay, we repudiate them. Can we move on now? They don't want you to exist. Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post, another columnist, recently declared on a TV program, we have to collectively, in essence, burn down the Republican Party. Why is this woman allowed on Twitter? This sounds like inciting violence to me. We have to level them because if there are survivors, if there are people who weather this storm, they will do it again. Why is she allowed to write in the Washington Post? Why is she allowed to be on any of these social media sites? Such language is similar to a call recently by James Comey. And it's not viewed as incitement. Rubin also called for a blacklisting of Trump supporters from universities and the media, a call that has been made by Democratic figures in Congress as well as academics. She said, I think it's absolutely abhorrent that any institution of higher learning, any news organization or any entertainment organization that has a news outlet would hire these people. You're the untouchables. You shouldn't have a job, you see. Maybe you can be moved into a little ghetto, you know, kind of like the Warsaw ghetto. And you can just, you you know, you can have the basics. Maybe we'll give you a can of beans and you can eat that every day. And then maybe we'll take it away from you eventually because you're just a hater. These people have to be stopped. That's all. They have to be stopped. Not through insurrection, not through ridiculous stunts that went terribly wrong in Washington, D.C. and never should have been done in the first place. Not this kind of stuff, but constitutional addressing of all of this because who wants to go down this road? And I keep going back to the fact that you had 74 million people on the other side, just those who went to the polls, much less people who didn't go to the polls. That's no small number. So how about we not sit here and take this? How about we push back against this and say, we are a country of freedom of speech. And the way that you ferret out truth is by allowing every view to be put out there equally so people can decide for themselves what it is they want to embrace and what they want to believe. That's why the Supreme Court allowed the Nazi party to march in Skokie, Illinois, which is a primarily Jewish community back in the day. And they decided in that community, which was not far from where I grew up, let them do it. But let's just not give them a lot of attention and a lot of publicity because that's what they want. And so that was how they handled it. And guess what? It went away. That's how you handle it. Not with these people, not with these authoritarians. By the way, let's talk a little bit about what newly inaugurated Joe Biden has just done. He's done all kinds of things. He signed an executive order rescinding the 1776 commission that came about under President Trump. It put out its report, you'll remember, on well, it was a couple of weeks ago, fulfilling the president's request to reaffirm the importance of its citizens knowing the principles 
that were part of forming America and incorporate those principles into our daily lives and education. And it's a long thing. It's like 45 pages long, but it's terrific. So Biden had to get rid of that because we we can't have an outbreak of love for America. That well, What would that do to globalism? You can't love America. That's white nationalism. Okay, what if black people and people from Asia and people who are Native Americans and people who come from all over the world but are here as Americans because they love their country and they love their freedom are in total agreement with the 1776 commission report? I don't know. They'll come up with some excuse. Here's another one. Executive order on preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. This was a statement from Tony Perkins at the Family Research Council. He said President Biden's executive order effectively targets people of faith and faith based organizations that provide social services that are even more vital in the midst of a pandemic. And now those who hold to biological reality and the doctrines of the world's major religions will be forced to violate their consciences or even lose a government contract. And ultimately, if this executive order is able to be fully carried out, it will affect everyday Americans who hold biblical and conservative values. In his inauguration speech, President Biden called for unity. He's now demanding uniformity. Here's what's hilarious about this in kind of an ironic way. I'm reading section one of this executive order. Uh, it's, it's like an exercise in projection. It's hilarious. Every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear, no matter who they are or whom they love. Not every person. Because this is going to wipe out girl-only sports. And this is going to put boys who think they're girls right into those locker rooms and right into those bathrooms. So you don't care about every person who might have fear. There have been girls who have been attacked in these kinds of situations. There have been lawsuits filed about these kinds of situations. President Biden doesn't care about girls. He doesn't care if they're scared of a guy coming into the bathroom or into the locker room. He doesn't care. Children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. That is just a lie. Every child can go to the bathroom. Every child can go to the bathroom. Every child can go to the locker room at school. And every child can participate in various school sports. They just can't participate in these things with the opposite sex there in various states of undress. And I don't think this is controversial at all. Then it says adults should be able to earn a living and pursue a vocation, knowing that they will not be fired, demoted or mistreated because of whom they go home to or because how they dress does not conform to sex based stereotypes. Gee, that's kind of funny, you guys, because you've been making a big deal about these big tech companies being private companies. They can ban the president of the United States. They can ban you because you're inciting violence, even if there's no evidence. And they can let liberals, their friends, say the most violent things imaginable. They can call for people to be killed. They can make threats. And they had hang Mike Pence trending on Twitter for something like 14 hours. Twitter didn't shut that down. So you love when it's a leftist run organization or company, let them do whatever they want. They're a private company. But Jack Phillips better bake that cake, baby. He better bake that cake. Is that discrimination or what? Of course it is. These people are nothing if not supreme hypocrites. So fasten your seatbelt. We're going to be getting into a lot more of this in the next few days here on the show. But oh, oh, they also over at the Biden White House uh, corrected the official White House contact page and updated it to ask users to include their preferred gender pronouns. 
Oh, that's so touching. Did you know, in fact, that Biden said a while? I just saw this. I guess I had missed this when it actually happened. And they say that people did miss this. LGBTQNation.com. Joe Biden said about a year ago that there are at least three genders. At least. Wow. So bold and brave. He was asked this by a woman at a campaign stop in August of 2019. And when the woman asked him to name the genders, he said, don't play games with me, kid. Snappy answers to stupid questions. No, dumb answers to smart questions. We got to leave it there. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. Pray for this country. We'll see you next time.